Hi, this is James Chow. And this is Paula Kylie. Paula Kylie. And you're listening to Beach Weekly, a news podcast from the Daily 49er at Long Beach State. Beach Weekly. This week was our Long Beach special issue where we explored the culture within the Long Beach community. This issue is our first bilingual print issue, as well as the first issue to be distributed in Long Beach public libraries. Huge shout out to our special projects editor, Carlos Villacaña, who spearheaded this project. In this issue, you'll hear stories about a local indie book publisher operated by one woman, a mural artist who has played a part in painting this city's aesthetic, a photo story that captures the trials and tribulations of a homeless man in Long Beach, and an in-depth look at Long Beach's Cambodian community. I'm here with James Chow, you might know him, you might ring a bell, who wrote about how Cambodian Americans embrace their Khmer roots while building a home here in Long Beach. I did. So James, mm-hmm. you talked a little bit about the May Center in your article. So can you tell our listeners what that is and how it's serving the Cambodian American community in Long Beach? Sure, yeah. The May Center is a community garden in Long Beach that's located on East Anaheim Street. So the purpose of the May Center is to help those who are struggling with um, post-traumatic stress disorder and heal through that. And a lot of the members there, they have like shared healing experiences from that. The May Center also aims to mirror the households in Cambodia in terms of its garden that it has. In the May Center, there's a garden of different Khmer and American vegetables and herbs and fruits. The purpose of different Khmer vegetables that are at the center is to kind of acclimate the elder Cambodian community and make them feel more at home in Long Beach. The purpose of providing American vegetables is to kind of get them used to knowing what American vegetables look like in their local grocery stores. It makes the Cambodian community feel at home while also making them feel like Long Beach can be their home too. What other services does the May Center provide? Yeah, so they also hold classes. Um, I know one of them is a civil engagement class. There's a popular measure that was passed last year, I believe, that was helped put together by people in the May Center. And that measure would basically institute a citizen panel to redraw the boundaries of the districts in Long Beach. And this would happen after the 2020 census. So you start your article with an anecdote from Laura Somm the founder of the May Center and survivor of the Khmer Rouge. And if you ask me, it was pretty sad. I was reading it. It's it's really heart-wrenching to think that somebody had had to go through that. Mm -hmm. So what was it like hearing her story? Yeah, when I was interviewing her, um, I actually didn't know what to expect. Well, I actually kind of got acquainted with her at Cambodian Genocide Remembrance Day when I heard her backstory. It's very visceral and it's very, it's very intense to hear. So she's gone through many different experiences. I was kidnapped when I was six years old and abandoned in the middle of the war. And so the Khmer Rouge was still out there. Um, it was in Batimingche, which is like a northwest Cambodia. Um, I went to refugee camps after that. And we end up at the refugee camps site too. Um, there I experienced another trauma where I came back from school one day and my mom was being to near death and I found her lying in her pool of blood. Under Pol Pot's regime in the Khmer Rouge, over 2 million people died and obliterated 25% of the country's 1975 population. I think being directly affected by that and seeing her experiences from that, this is crazy, you know? This was less than 50 years ago 
and you know these people are are still surviving and they're still staying strong and being you know regular citizens in the community and just know their past it's it's disheartening to hear but it's it's also amazing how they've been able to deal with that yeah i feel like it definitely humanizes this narrative that's told again and again and you hear it all the time you spit out a few numbers like 25 percent of the country's 1975 population i think hearing it kind of just grounded me as a reader when i read it so mm-hmm. yeah you said in your article also focuses a lot on the difference in experiences between the different generations of cambodian americans and you talk to a few people that i guess you could say are representative of their generation right can you talk a little bit more about that so you heard uh laura's story she's a 1.5 generation cambodian having gone through the genocide like at just six years old but there's also the first generation people that talked to were already old enough and aware of what was what was going on i talked to another gentleman his name is song tan and he was actually a graduate by the time the khmer rouge happened and the, the the khmer rouge targeted intellectuals and wealthy people and people of status he said that he had to hide that he was a graduate he had to destroy all his paperwork and stuff like that and he had to work in the fields just like everybody else and when he came to america it was such a hard experience because he had to basically go through everything that he's already gone through in cambodia uh, in terms of academia and then kind of rebuild from there and then i also talked to a second generation cambodian her name is Vanderlyn Vong. Um, she is a president scholar here at Kelsey Long Beach, and her mom is um, a Cambodian genocide survivor too. Vanderlyn would say how her mom would talk about her childhood, but then just pause and just kind of be taken back to that moment. The conversation would end there. But yeah, Vanderlyn is also, she wants to help her community. She's actually a Democratic delegate for the 70th Assembly District. So she's doing all that she can to help her community and to help just the Long Beach community in general. After talking to all of these people and hearing everyone's stories, what did you have any like major takeaway after covering the story? I guess my takeaway was I'm a Filipino Chinese um, American, and I'm not really in tune with my roots. But just being able to hear the experiences of the Cambodian American community and how they acclimated, and how the second and one point five generation are helping the elder generation is kind of made me appreciate my roots and and just learned my culture as well and I think that's that's kind of been a big thing for a lot of the stories I've covered this semester I also covered the American Indian community like just seeing their experiences and seeing how what they've gone through it just kind of makes you appreciate their culture and appreciate your own culture This past Wednesday, several organizations and advocacy groups around Long Beach took part in a mile-long march from MacArthur Park to MLK Park in solidarity for issues including workers' rights, immigration, racial tension, climate change, and access to education. This event is May Day, or otherwise known as International Workers' Day. There were four folks from the 49er who covered the event. I'm here with one of them, Jonathan Rolson. So this is your first time covering an event like this, right? Yeah, I've actually never been a part of a march of any sort. And I always see like the, uh, you know, the Women's Day marches. Uh, I've heard about May Day before, but I've never actually been to one. Actually being there was quite the spectacle. When we got there, it was just some park, right? There were a bunch of folks uh, gathered near some benches. You know, there was kids playing 
basketball, soccer in the background, that sort of thing. And um, as we get closer, I meet up with uh, the rest of the 49ers staff that's covering the event. For the first half an hour, it's people just kind of milling around. The old timers, you know, wearing kind of their faded protest shirts from the, uh, the days long past. You know, younger people with, uh, you know, big signs, handmade, and some looking more professional than others. But everyone, everyone who was there was really passionate. There were speakers speaking. They uh, started with a commencement the Native American tribe that originally uh, inhabited the area. Later on, they had some spoken word pieces, as well as people documenting their experiences and celebrating their victories relating to improving working conditions. So what were some of the issues that the demonstrators were advocating for? In general, they want to improve workers' rights. They marked how hundreds of years ago, 1890, whatever, when the first May Day protest happened to uh, advocate for the eight-hour workday, they were kind of hearkening back to that and saying like, yes, we've come this far, but there's still a way to go. They tackled issues of development of stadiums and uh, industrial facilities that were displacing people with lower income, uh, you know, the actual, the working class, the people who are, you know, making all these infrastructure projects happen and in a way funding them and that sort of thing are the ones being displaced. People were there from different groups. So each group was kind of tapping different things. Like there were immigrant rights groups there. There were nature conservancy groups. There were Native American representatives there. Kind of whatever whatever issue you, you could think of, there was there was someone there representing it, talking about it, or holding up a sign for it. In, in tackling these issues, were there kind of slogans that were said? So there were general slogans that they were saying, like, what do we do when people are under attack? Stand up! fight back, kind of a general call and response to get the crowd going and that sort of thing. And there were also other, there were more specific chants that they did. I forget what they prefaced it with, but it was like, justice, peace, no Long Beach police. And they kept, they chanted that and I, I kind of chuckled to myself because, you know, they had, a, they had a police escort on motorcycles and bicycles. They did a pretty good job, right? Like them and the police were kind of working together to kind of block off the streets because there was a lot of the volunteers what was the crowd like? What, what was the energy? Ex- excited. Um, they were all pretty happy to be there and fired up about their various things during the initial sort of speeches that were given. You know, they, they'd make a point and the whole crowd would be like, yeah, woo, like that sort of thing. They were chanting. There were, there were kids playing, um, you know, that like their parents had brought them. They are in the little shirts that said like, no fascism now, no fascism ever, like that sort of thing. Um, little handmade. It was cute. You know, you, you're... The beat writer for Crime Blotter. I am, yeah. yeah. So what was it kind of like getting out of that beat and covering this kind of event? I guess the difference in storytelling for you, how was that? Yeah, it was that. De- it's definitely, it was, it was different. Um, when I write for the Crime Blotter, I talk with Captain Richard Goodwin, and uh, we go over things that I pick out, right? There's a suspicious person. He reads the report for me. We discuss it. We talk about it. Essentially, all I have to do is re-listen to the recording, you know, cut out the stuff that doesn't make any sense follow up with him if there's any gaps, that sort of thing. So I don't want to say that it's, you know, easy, but it's laid out. There's a certain formula that I, that I kind of follow. It's like, oh, I write it down, I do the timestamp of the recording, and then I'll listen to it back again and kind of just write it from there. So I've, I've got, I'm kind of in the rhythm of that. In writing this article, I felt like I was able to add a bit more color to it. I referenced parts of how people were standing shoulder to shoulder amid a sea of signs supporting different movements here and there, different projects, different things. I felt like I was showing in this article, whereas in the crime blotter, I love it, don't get me wrong, that's more telling.
Saturday will be filled with huge events, while the men's volleyball teams will look, sweat, and fight for NCAA championship gold at the Walter Pyramid. Across the campus, there's another kind of energy, one of glitz, glam, and high heels that will fill the beach auditorium. Fraternity Delta Lambda Phi will be hosting its 10th annual Draglicious event Saturday. And while the event will definitely be a fun one to cover, the Daily 49er has a bit of a stake in it. We're here with our managing editor and incoming editor-in-chief, Austin Rumbley, to tell us what that stake is. So I will be in drag. <laughs> you will be in drag. You will be in drag. And tell us, um, Austin, what's your uh, drag name? <laughs> Pettuccine Alfredo. Yeah, it's a, a food-themed... That's uh, like their... House. Yeah, house. My drag mother, Brandon coined the, the beautiful name for me, and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to kind of filling the, the Pettuccini Alfredo uh, <laughs> role. <laughs> so tell me, Austin, is this is drag something that you've done before? You know, it is not something I've done before, but um, it's something I've always kind of been interested in. I'm very, very thankful for this opportunity to, to kind of get to live out this dream. And what kind of made you want to do it? <laughs> I don't know if like, there's like any specific reason, but it is like it's a, a whole other world that I've seen from like from afar. I think it's something that like there's an opportunity to get get immersed in it, explore that side, you know. Can you tell us a little bit about the process? Like, what have you been through to get here? Yes, that's a great question. <laughs> so, so it's pretty intimidating. First of all, there is a lot of, that goes into the the whole makeup process and the routine. Brandon has graced me with his wisdom of teaching me how to uh, <laughs> how to dance, how to how to walk in heels, and the, that's been a whole process. You know, the attire, building the the female mold, especially for myself who <laughs> needs a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about your mother, Brandon Haw, who so graciously came on this project and took our Austin. Our Austin. Yes. <laughs> Our Austin. And is going to turn him into a queen. I'm su- super thankful to have someone like Brandon um, spend his time uh, working with me and, and training me. You know, he's definitely gone out of his way to make me feel welcome into uh, the drag community, down to the music and the routine. You know, he's basically coached me the whole way through. And uh, yeah, it's it's meant a lot. So, Pettuccini. What's your inspiration? What are you basing your queen on? Your queen persona? Ooh, I've always felt like I'm pretty like sassy, and <laughs> I could I could speak to that. Yeah, in the newsroom. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm definitely using that like as like my uh, my drag persona. You know, kind of like a, a sassy girl, and yeah. she's yeah. petty. She's she petty. Is very petty. Yeah. So the elephant in the room. So Austin, are you gonna talk? So <laughs> I talked to Brandon about this, and for those that don't know, tucking refers to taping the male genitalia <laughs> back to kind of help build the female body type. <laughs> but yeah, it requires literally taping. <laughs> and so no, I, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Thankfully, like there's there's ways that you can look like a female with padding and other dress to hide that. <laughs> We're recording this in preparation. For this event, what are your feelings? We're, what, two days away from the big show? What? How are you feeling? You're two days away. I'll be honest, I'm pretty nervous. Uh, there's a lot to learn in the next next 48 hours. <laughs> Down to knowing the lyrics of the song I'll be performing oh, no. <laughs> 
So yeah, I have a lot on my plate. Uh, I am gonna like. I promised Brandon I would study. You know, I'm not gonna let him down. Uh, I don't want to let you know the community down. I don't want to make a fool of of myself. You know, I want to I want to be comfortable. And so yeah, I'm definitely I'm taking this seriously. Gonna make sure I do my part because Brandon's definitely done his. You've gone through much of this process from the makeup to the dancing to you know learning the lyrics, just being a woman. You know, being a drag. What's your favorite part of the process? I have yet to dress up, but I'm kind of looking forward to that, kind of seeing what I what I actually look like in drag. I don't know how beautiful I'll be, but... I think you'll be very beautiful, Austin. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure you will be a very beautiful drag queen in your Benjamin-covered bodysuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you What are you performing? Like, what song are you performing? Bitch, but I have my money. money. Mm. Rihanna. Rihanna. We yeah. love, I will love be wearing her. a... Uh, like a money suit, nice, Ooh. nice fluffy green. Like, You'll have to see it. Scarf. That <laughs> <laughs> kind of all ties together. I plan on having some fun with the audience as I make my way to the stage. So stay tuned for that. Cool. Do. You'll have to see it to believe it, and luckily you will because we have a video that will be coming out um, the following week that documents Austin's entire journey. That's being produced by our video editor Adam Pacheco. So look oh. forward to that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, so I'll also be writing up uh, my personal take about this whole experience. So, I Can we sing the Campus Connection? Old oh yeah, we can, song? we can, we can. Rest in peace. Is this copyrighted? No, no, I don't think so. Or I mean, we're appreciating CSL BJPR. Okay. Um, yeah. So rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, old theme songs. This is to you. Please. <laughs>